Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. Uh, my name's Chris Bowne, I'm the editor at Hotel Analyst and I'm joined on the podcast by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Apologies this week in advance if the sound at my end is not quite as it should be or is at the quality of normal, but I'm actually sitting in an airport. Just proof if you needed it that we're always out and about at Hotel Analyst. So the first topic we're going to talk about this week is uh, we've had some more results from the big hotel groups um, and uh, one of the things that struck me when I was looking through the numbers from Choice, uh, Intercontinental Hotels and Hyatt and indeed hearing their presentations from their CEOs was that we got a little bit more uh, information about how they are actually still investing in hotel properties although they are they claim to be asset light uh, there's there's definitely a, a move to insert money here there and everywhere by various means key money loans whatever um, to grow things and one of the more interesting things that uh, came out of the IHG uh, numbers and presentation was the power that um, that I actually believe they've gathered from um, adding the principal portfolio in the UK. That's allowed them to launch Voco uh, across the UK and also some Kimpton properties and they've essentially used those as a shop window to bring in investors from the Middle East and various other parts of the world to say look what we can do would you like a Voco or a Kimpton in your part of the world and apparently that's paid off very nicely. Um, so the one little takeaway from from the results calls that I listened to Andrew what else did you take away? Well, it's interesting. As we've gone through the results here, everybody's reporting their final quarter. What we've seen is the growing fears around coronavirus. Now, we're not really going to touch on that this week. Um, um, we're going to look a bit more. Um, and I'm certainly being careful what I touch at this airport. <laughs> well, you see, <laughs> I, I think it's, it's proof that life goes on, right, in travel yeah. and tourism. I mean, you, you are you are evidence of that, Chris. That it I've just continue. come back from the Alps where I was dodging <laughs> super spreaders around the, around the mountains. <laughs> no sneezing. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, so I mean, I, I think that, that that's been growing in in seriousness. And the only thing, a, a useful thing, I think I can say about about it is that, that a it's a clear black swan event. It's not something you can ever plan for these sort of things. But b um, if you can believe the numbers coming out of China, which is a big if I do grant you, but the, the, it does seem they, the Chinese do seem to be on top of it, and the rate of infection appears to be slowing, which would indicate that we are we have broken the back of the thing. But of course it depends how these sort of secondary areas where it's it's got out to how, how that is dealt with and whether that can be dealt with in in quite as um, rigorous a fashion as the Chinese have done so we'll, we'll wait and see certainly at the outset when the first, you know Hilton were the first to re- of the majors to report that they seem very um, unworried by it um, as we've got into it we've got to the point now booking holdings came out um, yesterday as I speak and they they, they were a much uh, should we say much more bare talking five to ten percent down in terms of bookings etc but the great thing about this industry is we know it's a long-term industry there's long-term growth prospects um, there will be a bounce back there it's probably going to have to be some sort of cost mitigation in the short run but you know it's important that 
um, investors don't damage the long-term prospects which are out there and hotels at the end of the day are a decades-long investment it's not um and hopefully this virus will be um well past us not long after easter we'll see i mean i'm i'm no virologist but on to the the thing <laughs> what i do know something about um which the is numbers. hotel investment <laughs> yes the numbers um uh yeah you're absolutely right in terms of this i mean it, it, it's it's this notion of um recycling capital which um you know marriott was one of the first really to engage with and say look we are investing that and they did that with their editions when they reinvigorated the edition brand where they, they invested you know was it 600 million us in a number of um three three different editions um we're seeing this now with ihg what when they took over principal and um, they not only took on the balance sheet exposure of leases but but they've gone out and invested as you said in terms of OCO getting those brands up and running and they recognize they need to do that because they've as we always bang on about is the nug the net unit growth and for IHG it was a good number 5.6 percent it was slightly boosted by the funny deal they did in Macau with the Sands property, um, and that's a um, which is sort of an affiliate, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And they, they, I mean, they more or less admitted they were making very little on the uh, franchise fees, and that accounted for of, of that five point six. It was point six um, percentage points um, uh, was from that Sands deal alone. So the sort of if you net that out, it's five point zero. But uh, I mean, it's still a pretty decent number. Um, and they are very focused on that and they seem to be very um, aggressive in terms of their their the ongoing rollout plans and I, th I think one of the the, the the interesting numbers which which came out was from the CFO at uh, IHG um, Edgecliff Johnson um, he said look uh, when when challenged on this we'd need to see revpar go back more than three percent for profitability to move backwards if all other things were were equal in other words because there's various levers they can pull at um in, in to main uh, to maintain profitability so uh, the, the key one obviously is to keep that unit growth going if they can keep that unit growth at five percent or so um, um maybe and chip out a little bit of cost they can take a three percent hit on um revpar um and and profitability will will remain steady so that, that just shows how much more resilient this business model is which uh, i think was quite interesting to see that number come out there um so broadly you know very uh, positive numbers coming out um, given the where we are in the cycle and giving given you know what we the, the short-term fears we have around coronavirus and, it, and it, one other final thing I think before we move on um, to note on this is that I think this is the first this is the first set of results calls I've been listening to where OTAs aren't a huge feature that mm. the, the the global majors seem to have gone on top of that piece and um in that ota relationship is no longer seems to be a major concern um for the analysts on these calls which i think is very encouraging um from the hotel brand company perspective right well now we're off to uh north africa and specifically to morocco and um, where we've been having a look at what's going on in terms of uh well probably a, an interesting advance in in terms of opportunities for investment in uh, hotels and hospitality real estate in the country um, and there we've 
we've just recently seen a REIT set up, or as they call them in Morocco, an OCP, uh, Organisme de Placement Collectif Immobilier. Uh, and um, there's a company, a REIT called GRIT, which uh, currently invests across uh, Africa in a variety of real estate uh, assets. And they are looking to basically reverse themselves into, or they buy, bought a stake in this Moroccan REIT. And there's an opportunity here for them to put uh, a couple of their uh, Club Med properties into the REIT as well as one or two other hotel properties around and about. Um, the, great, the great thing about this is that GRIT is quite uh, a busy acquisitive uh, animal and um, they're looking basically for an opportunity here for other people to come in alongside them and co-invest in, uh, in the Moroccan REIT. Um, and here's a country which is quite keen on uh, growing its tourism offering so could be a, a quite a good match. Absolutely, Chris. I mean, I liked your pronunciation there. Your 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 week in France has obviously paid off <laughs> yes, from that. Right. that. Uh, um, Trois I mean, a couple of things. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of things I think were interesting about about this the, the this this set of um, news stories which come out from Grit. The first is actually it turns on the head the usual form, which is China Chinese capital going into Africa um, to support. Um, you know, buy up businesses. What what we're actually seeing here is a homegrown um, African capital source in grit um, developing and then adopting a Chinese brand in the form of Club Med or Chinese owned brand. Yeah. Um, in the form of Club Club Med for Fosun. So I quite like that. How that's turning the the usual convention on its head. I think that's quite an interesting note. The other thing I notice is that the couple of Club Med properties that they have in grit is just how tight the yield is. Um, you know, less than eight percent in one case um and seven percent in another case uh, quite remarkable actually um <clears throat> given the the higher risk element one would anticipate in africa but it just shows actually how aggressive you've got to be out there to to, to deliver that um and and the whole club med piece i think the foson connection seems to be working for them um certainly i mean they are they haven't yet done their full year results so i, I could only look into at their numbers for the for the half year um up to the summer um they, they put out in august and what you see is a five percent growth in in ebitda a five by five percent growth in ebitda um and, and daily bed rate up um, nearly six percent actually within Club Med. I mean, it's a very healthy 197 US dollars um, Club Med is um, averaging, which is uh, just a testament, I think, to how strong their 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 business model is. And also, you know, they are prepared very much to have balance sheet exposure. I met up with uh, Gregory Gregory Lanter, who is the uh, chief development officer at Club Med, back in October in Hong Kong, and um, um, he was taking me through some of their approaches and you know fixed leases are still very much in favor with club bed particularly in europe and africa interestingly not in china where fosun are pushing management contracts but in africa and europe yes fixed leases there they're keen to to get stuck into them um and you know the, the, his point was look we've got 60 percent of our guests coming through our direct channels we've got good control here and having a fixed lease gives us good commercial control of of the unit which is quite an interesting take on it and if you look at the the nature of these are sort of 100 million euros dollars whichever currency you, you want to take uh, pounds <laughs> they're all sort of broadly equivalent but it, they're lumps of around that size each individual development and often they're um they're actually the first mover in a new market and they work with the local authorities the governments in many cases um airlift is obviously critical infrastructure getting guests to and 
from um, the resort but also broadening it out so that the resort itself and the guests within the resort is integrated much more fully in the in the local environment um, both um, environment from the perspective of the flora and fauna but also the environment from the human perspective as well um, and Atlanta was very conscious of that so it's a very interesting evolution I think of this whole resort model um, and Fosun is very much um, you know supporting that that growth and expansion. Right now let's get on to our next topic which is to talk about the student accommodation market which uh, and there's a couple of couple of good reasons for that. First off there's a couple of research reports come out which have indicated quite clearly the, the continuing opportunities in this space as the uh, demand just keeps on growing. Those of us who are of a certain age think it's can't believe where all these students are coming from but coming they are and so there's uh, apparently demand is, is still outstripping supply in terms of uh, dedicated student accommodation. They don't want to all go and live in grotty house shares like we did apparently um, and then the other issue uh, the other reason for us having a having a good look at what's going on in the student accommodation market is there's a great big deal just about to break in the UK uh, one of the biggest um, by several measures so um, all looking good if you're into the student accommodation market and if you're not then perhaps you should be um, and of course it's bringing in many more institutional investors because who, who like the fact that there's scale and like the fact that they can see transactions and, and really work out what values are and see a market that's becoming more and more liquid mm, I, absolutely i mean if, if anybody was ever in doubt that the student accommodation is a investable you know institutional investment asset class um, i think this move by blackstone um on iq um uh, which is a goldman sachs and they've got a majority stake about 70 percent i think in 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 it um it's goldman sachs welcome trust and uh, graystar in it they've got about two percent but the, the, it's a huge deal 4.7 billion um pounds it's uh, it, it's claimed to be the biggest ever private real estate deal. So not just institutional accommodation or operational real estate, but but private real estate deal in the UK. So it's a huge, huge thing. Um, and the numbers are very impressive. And the the other thing I would pull out from this is that IQ are already moving beyond straight student accommodation. They're develop, currently developing a block in Manchester which has purpose-built student accommodation. Um, but the biggest bulk of it is is um, micro living or um, co living, whatever you want to call those sort of schemes. Um, but but basically, they're rooms in, in this particular block. It's nineteen square meter rooms. Um, something we've remarked on in the past is that this is significantly smaller than say a premier in um, room um, but they're pushing them out um, in Manchester um, I, one thing to watch on this is Manchester's um, council hasn't been thrilled by by this and they've already issued a, a planning report which um, um, says look um, w there are problems potentially with these sort of micro living developments and we, we, we shouldn't be encouraging them, encouraging them we'll see how that evolves but I, I, I clearly I think what, what, what's happening here we, we're seeing a merging across the different um, sectors something with which we'd long been talking about hotel analyst there's this notion of kicking over the silos you can't just talk about student accommodation you just can't just talk about residential um you've also got short-term lets coming in now this isn't something which is short-term 
let at the moment but um, it, it could well actually be switched into that if Manchester um, Council turns around and says look we would prefer um, to have short-term lets here it's maybe who, who knows um, but um, in terms of the the future f growth and direction of these these new sectors I think it's all intertwined um, and I, I think people who are involved in hotel investment have to engage with this so you can't just sit back and ignore it any longer um, this is integral to the overall marketplace and it's no longer just a case of seeing them as a competitor for a site but they potential competitors in terms of market um, in terms of you know occupier as well so I, th I think this is very um, very interesting um, um, clearly lots of lots of cash around um, aggressively investing in student accommodation looking um, beyond the UK as well looking into continental Europe we're going to see much more of this interesting you say what's going on in Manchester because I think the, the planners have to kind of wise up and recognize that uh, investors and residents are increasingly agnostic about whether it's a, a micro student apartment or a micro co-living apartment when you've graduated um, you, you, your comments yeah. remind me of uh, yeah. when I was speaking with the guys at TP Quintain's um, PRS uh, arm recently and they you know they're just completely agnostic about you know we 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 build and rent out flats and we don't care if students take them or people in the mid to late 20s take them who are working and um, uh, I think you know councils are going to have to stop being quite so sniffy about the fact that people who've who've lived their undergraduate years in a small student student accommodation uh, block then are quite happy graduating and moving into something a bit similar just down the road um, yeah and, and I think it's, it's a classic case of regulation failing to keep up with um, rapidly shifting consumer demands um, and this is as you're absolutely spot on Chris consumers are wanting that and what's quite interesting if you look at the IQ um, sort of publicity campaign around this and often around their student accommodation as well they're very big on pushing the, the notion of it's a way of combating loneliness it's a way of building communities um, so the, the almost a sort of almost a public health thing <laughs> going on here so you've got you've got you know these people just coming out of university going into their first jobs rather than have them isolated in 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 flats they're actually bringing them together and you know offering a support structure within that so it's quite interesting how they're they're marketing in this and positioning it so you know i, I you know just to repeat the point we've there's got to be engagement here and um some of the historic things we have seen from the lobby groups within, on the hotel side um, about all oh, let, let's let's just ban it and regulate it i think we need a much more engaged a much more nuanced approach than simply say that needs to be stopped um it, it, it needs to be engaged with it does need regulation it does need control um but it needs to be done in in an appropriate manner which enable which benefits both consumers and and and, and, and makes for a profitable investment as well that's about all from us for this week we're off to break down the barriers uh, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon bye for now